a problem so deep that it is unfixable. Can you think of one? Or perhaps um, a car. You've had it for so long and you t- keep taking it back to the mechanics and then finally, that's it. No, no, sir, it's unfixable. What about a t-shirt? One that you loved for so long, worn it for years, decades maybe, uh, for someone to tell you that it just is not working. You cannot wear it. There's a hole there and there's a hole there. It's unfixable. Throw it out. A house, boiler, so on, so on, so on. Was it, what has it been for you? A problem so deep that it is unfixable. Or a condition so entrenched that a fresh start cannot solve. I received a sad email on the, in the week from friends from our last church in Oxford. A dear lady there who was uh, in charge of junior church is dying from cancer. And her husband uh, wrote these words. After the failed attempt at chemo last Friday... We met the consultant this morning and were given the news we were dreading. No other chemotherapy is known to work with endometrial cancer and going on a trial for other drugs is out of the question. They are unable to offer any other treatment so the cancer must be allowed to take its course. A a condition so entrenched that a fresh start cannot solve it. See, today we see a problem. We see a problem that is so great, it is insurmountable for us. It's unfixable. And yet, not with God. Israel's hearts are failing. Israel's hearts are riddled with disease. We've seen this from Genesis chapter 3 onwards. The first murder comes in Genesis chapter 4 and forever since in our Bible overview, our journey has seen the heart of humankind riddled with disease, hearts that are failing, insurmountable for man, unfixable for man, hearts which have led them to the grave beyond hope. And today in the reading we find ourselves in a valley, a valley of dry bones. Perhaps something like this. As Ezekiel prophesies, Ezekiel brings God's word to a valley of dry bones. Who is Ezekiel? Where does he fit into the big picture, into God's big picture? Ezekiel chapter 1, go there quickly if you can. The words I think will appear uh, behind me. Chapter 1, verse 1, in my 30th, 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kebar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And on the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Joachim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzzle, by the Kebar River in the land of the Babylonians. Here's... The prophet Ezekiel, he's been taken into captive during the time when the Babylonians began their captivity of Judah, during the time of the reign of King Joachim. Here's the timeline. You can read that. 
Remember Isaiah? That's where we were last time with Simon. The kingdom split in 922 BC. Isaiah prophesied around 700, 750 BC. And here we have Ezekiel. He's speaking at around 597 BC. He's speaking as a captive in Babylon. He's by the river. Psalm 137 picks up uh, this idea, singing the songs of Zion um, in a foreign land by the rivers of Babylon. And he's a priest, and he's a prophet, and he's speaking to fellow Jews also in exile. It's around 11 years uh, before the lowest point in the whole of Israel's history. 586 BC, it's the destruction of the temple. It is the final stone that gets smashed as Babylon took control of Israel completely. The final stage. And in chapter 1 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet gives a vision of God. The most remarkable description. Read Ezekiel chapter 1 and you will see God and his glory. And throughout Ezekiel, we will see how God has dealt with a disobedient people. And so we see that Israel has a heart problem. And it was once said, uh, you've heard this phrase, I'm sure the heart of the problem is the problem with the human heart. And it's the same for us today. It's the heart of the problem, the problem of the human heart. Our hearts are more wicked than we can ever imagine. And we've seen in our Bible overview how God hates sin. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, banished from the garden. To chapter 5, Noah, destroy the earth with flood and I will save one or two. God hates sin. We've seen him do that. And so we've got a huge problem, huge problem. Let's have a look at this in two stages. We look at the bones and we look at the breath. Uh, here's our first point, the judgment of God on a disobedient people. Look how Ezekiel speaks God's word. Look at the picture that he paints. God is serious about judgment. Let's go from verse 1 again and have in your mind the picture of the valley of dry bones. The hand of the Lord was on me, verse 1, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones and he led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry and he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Bones, bones, bones. Such a vivid picture. A valley of dry bones. It's a nightmare. Think of your worst nightmare. This is it. It's Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. He's walking through dry bones. Crunch, crunch, crunch. They're bones, not of animals, of people. Not skeletons. But bones detached from each other. There's femurs in there. Spines. Metatarsals. Clavicles. Skulls. Do you get the picture? It's grim. The worst of all nightmares. Whose are these bones? Look at verse 11 of 37. 
Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Here are the bones of the people of Israel, all 12 tribes. Ten tribes in the north have fallen 200 years earlier. We saw that, 922. They fell to the Assyrians. And now the remaining tribes who form the southern kingdom of Judah, they're being defeated by Babylon. See, Moses earlier talked of such a time. He predicted that God would do this. If they disobeyed God, they would lose in battle, that their carcasses would be food for all the birds of the air, beasts on the ground, and there will be no one to frighten them away. This is an horrific idea for a Jew. As Moses predicted it, so here we have Ezekiel prophesying. This is what's happening. And it's a horrific idea for a Jew because to die and to be unburied meant that you died under God's curse. The utter helplessness of death. Finality. No more. I wonder if you've seen a dead body. It's grim this, isn't it? I wonder if you've seen a dead body. I remember um, when I first married Kerry, uh, and Kerry's uh, gran died um, quite soon after we got married. Uh, and Kerry tells me it's a bit of a tradition in Northern Ireland that huh, the, the body of the dead person is, is kind of there with you um, in the living room. Not in England, well, not as far as I was aware. Um, but Kerry's grand's dead body was there and overnight there. And so came down in the morning uh, afterwards and the dead body was laid out uh, in the coffin uh, of the study. I remember looking at Kerry's grandma's face and thinking, that's it. It's final. And coming down in the morning and seeing her and obviously not a bone had moved. Finality. That was it. It was helpless. And you see here, as Ezekiel is, is prophesying for a Jew, for the Jews who were reading this, who were listening to Ezekiel talk of such a thing. Any contact with a dead body made you unclean. So this tore through the bones, through the valley of dry bones. This tour would have been so excruciating uh, to hear, so excruciating for Ezekiel to experience. And we see there that, that God led him to and fro. Do you see that? It's not that he stood there in one place, just looking at this sight before him. God led him to and fro. Crunch, crunch, crunch. It's excruciating. Why? Why? Well, Ezekiel 36 helps us to see this. It's all part of the same package. Ezekiel 36, verse 18. Again, it's on the PowerPoint, but turn back there if you can. So I poured out my wrath, this is God, on them. Because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols, I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people. And yet they had to leave this land 
I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Here are the bones. They signify the lack of life and hope. Lack of life and hope because they profaned the name of the Lord. They've left. And they've rejected him. As we look at this today, it's bones that signify the lack of life and hope in life that do not know Jesus. Those that do not know Jesus, they lack life and they have no hope. Bones that represent you if you do not know Jesus. Bones that represent my friends, my colleagues, my neighbours who don't know Jesus. Bones under the judgment of God, abandoned, cut off, discarded. And so he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says in verse 3, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Nothing that I can do for my friend, colleague or neighbour who does not know Jesus. Lord, I cannot do anything. It's in your hands. See this reality? Would this sink in deep for us today? We live in neighbourhoods. We live amongst people where there are dead men walking. Dead women walking. Still some prisons in the US, they have death row. And as they lead the prisoner to the execution, they cry out, dead men walking. That's the same for me and Bista. I'm surrounded by dead men walking. You're surrounded on your street by dead men, dead women, dead children walking without hope, cut off, desolate. Can these bones live? No. 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 Not unless. Not unless. Do you get this? Please get this, Lanks. Let this sink in. I socialise with these people. I chat with people in Bista. I chat with the dad at the school gate. The teammate in the hockey team. The friend you meet at the pub. The mums and the tots groups, the neighbour we meet in the street, dead men walking, unless, 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 unless what? Verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons of flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Unless what? Unless people hear God's word. Unless God's word is brought to dead bones. But even then, if there's no breath in them, they don't live in Ezekiel's vision he prophesies see verses 4 and 7 
and we get lifeless skeletons. So the bones all formed together and there they grow tendons and, and flesh appeared on them and, and skin covered them. But, but still they're lifeless. And at this moment, you know it's going to come because that song kicks in. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. It's lifeless. They're skeletons now, but lifeless. If you type in Google that song, them bones, this is what comes up. And it's brilliant. For the moment before the song sings, lifeless skeletons. They've come from the ground and now they've... They formed into skeletons, but there's no breath in them, lifeless. Then the video all of a sudden spring into action. Here's the second part. Breath is new life in Christ for a disobedient people. No life. All underneath the condemnation, the judgment of God until breath. Back to verse 4. Dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath. From the four winds and breathe into these slain and they, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. What two things need to happen before the dead bones are fully alive? Hear the word of the Lord, part one. Part two, receive the breath of life. Do you see that? Look where the power comes. Look where the life-giving power comes. It comes from the living breath of God. How does this happen? Isn't it the way that people can hear the word of the Lord and yet do not come alive? Isn't that true? Perhaps that's true for you. You've heard God's word spoken so many times. And yet it's done nothing. There's no conviction. There's no conviction that that you need rescue. That you need forgiveness of sins. People can hear the word of the Lord and yet do not come alive. There's real chance of this happening at Town Church. Real chance. Of course there is. As an example, this is why in our gathering we have time together just as adults. We have creche and junior church. We have it. Sorry, this was not meant um, for the baby crying. But we have creche and junior church so that the adults in the room can hear God's word without distraction. Because it's so crucial. God's word heard, yes, but then to receive God's life-giving spirit. At Town Church, we want to provide every opportunity for us to respond to God's word. To hear him speak. The breath of God. Remember right at the beginning of Sound Church's existence. We started in Ephesians and we looked at chapter 2. And here are some of the words. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. 
Now all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. God's word brings life. And it is by grace you have been saved. Verse 10, let's wrap this up. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Have you ever thought coming to town church on a Sunday, coming to the gathering, was like the forming of an army? Perhaps not so vast as I look around. I tell you what, I'm glad I'm in battle with some people in this room. Well, no, all of you that are in Christ. But it's small, isn't it? We'll we'll think then there's other Christians in Bicester, um, Brackley, Banbury. So that would be a few more um, together in the room. Then think Oxfordshire. People that you know around Oxfordshire who know Christ, who have been given new life. Then think the UK. How many Christians then? It's becoming vast. Think global. Millions. Think generations from the beginning of time to the end of time. Here's a vast army. A vast army. Look and see what the sovereign Lord is doing. Can you remember when he did that for you? Has he done it for you? In January, we'll be looking at John's letters to the churches in the province of uh, Turkey, in the first chapters of Revelation. He speaks to one church and he says, you've lost your first love. You've lost it. See what God has done. Remember what God has done. Remember when he first breathed breath into you. He gave you a new heart. You see this? See it now in verse... 12, see what God is doing. Therefore, prophesy. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves. Bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. See what God has done. See the eyes in here. The eyes. I am going to. I will bring you back. I will put my spirit. I have spoken. I have done it. And here in our Bible overview, this is the first time we get the full picture of of what God will do. What are the major differences between this rescue and the rescue of Egypt? These differences are crucially important. Remember the rescue from Egypt, the Exodus? It was a physical rescue from slavery and judgment. It was a physical rescue that that we saw the people of Israel were saved from the penalty of sin. But Ezekiel speaks not only of rescue from God's judgment, but rescue from the power of sin. In the life of God's people. Even after the exodus, the people of Israel, they continued in sin. Do you remember that? You got the picture of that? Exodus 32, there's a golden calf that they made. Still while Moses was speaking to God. 
What have people all along been unable to do throughout this overview? They've been unable to stop sinning. They need help to change a new inward power that is stronger than the sinful nature. Do you see that here in Ezekiel? Ezekiel 36, for I will take you, verse 24, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle you, sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Here it is for the first time, a full picture of of what God will do in the heart of someone who he breathes into. Save you from the penalty of sin. And now with the new heart that I will give you, you can fight against the power of sin. And so when Ezekiel says there at the end of verse 10, a vast army... Here's the vast army, an army not to fight. Here's the vast army to bring God's word to people who are dead bones for as long as I live. This is what the army is to do, to live out this new life with a new heart and to hold out the word of truth to others, to other dead bones. Christmas is coming. You've seen these flyers. In fact, they're dotted around everywhere. And you don't have to look closely. Entrance hall. It's the table at the back. Look at the exciting events that we've got planned. Men's bowling and curry as well on Friday. Powerless to save, I am. These events, they're powerless to save. Unless my friends hear the word of God. And unless my friends receive the breath of God, unless the Spirit does his work in the heart of dead bones, powerless. And we go right to Acts 22. Peter's first message. And he says, repent and be baptised. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter proclaims at that moment the wonders of God. He proclaims the gospel of God. That Jesus is the Christ, the Lord. And then the Spirit brings new life. And we read that 3,000 were added to the number that day. Do you see, friend? Only... When I truly understand this problem is so deep that it's unfixable. A condition so entrenched that a fresh start or a sticky plaster cannot solve. It's the spirit of God breathed in by the word of God to bring new life. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord... You alone know. And so that's why we pray. We pray that God, by his word and his spirit, 
would bring dead bones back to life. It's why we put on such events. It's why we keep encouraging each other by God's word. Because it brings life. And it continues to enable me with the new heart that I've been given to live as God would have me live. To fight sin. To scrap against sin. To really scrap with it. To live a life that I've been called to. A life where I can say, my Lord, he's my rock. And he is my redeemer, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We're going to sing of such truths in a moment. I'm going to pray as Chris comes up uh, that we would let God's word do its work within our hearts.